Welcome to this special series of Research in Action, where we talk about the outlook for the major economic sectors and investment implications for 2024. We're your hosts, Carolyn Bigda. And I'm Matt Perone, Director of Research. And in this episode, we're joined by research analyst Josh Cummings, who heads the consumer sector team. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Josh, 2023 was all about the power of the consumer, particularly in the U.S., as the as pandemic worries faded and economies reopened. Can the consumer keep up the same pace of spending in 2024? Well, no one knows for sure. But I think it's important to maybe establish a, a, a few things right off the bat that just give us uh, confidence in the sustainability, let's say, of U.S. consumer spending. So let's start with households. There's 130 million households, give or take, in the United States. 67% of them own their primary home. Mm-hmm. 95% of those that cohort, which is about 88 million households, uh, have a fixed-rate mortgage. And 90% of the folks that have the fixed-rate mortgage have a rate under 5%. So we start from a position of, of real health here, historical, generational type health, um, with every household's largest asset, right, mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, the, the issue, I think, that we're wrestling with, that the market's wrestling with, is uh, we already know that. <laughs> and what's known as priced, right? And so um, what the market is caring about right now is the direction of travel, right? right? Is it getting better or getting worse? Um, and, you know, look, I, I don't know that I, I would def- go, as, go so far as to say it's getting worse definitively. Um, but look, things were really, really good coming off the bottom, as we all know. Credit metrics were as low as we've seen them in a generation, right? And what I mean by that is loan losses, things like that. Um, credit card balances got drawn down. The consumer was in, in incredible shape in, let's say, late 21, right? Um, so we're not there now. Okay. And so it's really kind of about the first derivative, right? We hear a lot about, you know, excess savings, right? That was a term that didn't exist before 2020. Now it does. We think less about that, frankly. If you think about, let's say, the bottom quintile of household incomes, right? What we would consider low-end consumers. Historically speaking, there's not much savings in that cohort to begin with. This is a customer or a consumer, rather, excuse me, who cares about two things, employment outlook and wage outlook, right? And above and, you know, above and beyond fixed expenses, gas prices, things like sure. that. This is not a customer that, that necessarily has brokerage accounts, cares about the value of an owned home, things like that. And if you look at those two things, right, the labor market and wages, got to say, in historical terms, pretty good place right now, right? Very low unemployment. Now, you know, we think the labor market is slowing. It's a lagging indicator, and I would expect it to slow. Um, But if you think about, if you drill down within the labor market, it's that hourly sort of lower-end employee um, actually is where the uh, the labor market is most acutely tight. So it's hard to see that the two things that, that that customer or consumer cares about the most, can I get enough hours and do I like my wages, those are both flashing green to us. Now, what we are seeing, and I sort of mentioned direction of travel, right? And so what we are seeing is negative first derivatives. And so what, would I, what, would it, what do I mean by that? Loan losses, delinquencies, from everything from unsecured credit cards to 
uh, to auto loans, mm -hmm. to even mortgages a little bit, right? Still quite, mortgages are still very low from a historical standpoint in terms of charge-offs. But in things like used cars, we're back to pre-pandemic levels. And in the case of subprime consumers, we're actually above pre-pandemic mm. levels. And so I understand the concern around the direction of travel. But I think it's also important to step back and, and understand where you are historically. The right. direction of travel is always either going to be green or red, mm -hmm. right? We are not concerned in the way that we, I, I would assume, we would have been in 2005, 2006, right? The structure of the real estate industry is completely different, right. much, much safer. Um, you know, required capital at, at money center banks, totally different story than it, than it was then. Now, that is not to say that we're not concerned about the rate cycle, right? If you, if you think about how aggressive the Fed has been this time in a historical context, right? We've gone from basically zero to five and a quarter. I don't know where we are now, five something, mm -hmm. in about 20 months, right? We started, I think, in March of 22. If we overlay that on the prior rate cycle, which by chance happens to be preceding the, the, right. the Great Recession, they look remarkably similar, okay. actually, about 500 basis points in about 18 to 20 months, Okay. right? So if we overlay, again, this period, where are we today? We're at like the end of 2005. That wasn't a great place to allocate risk capital in hindsight, sure. right? Now, again, that doesn't mean this time is, is going to be anything like last time. But there is that specter out there, right? And if you go back and you read a lot of the financial literature at the time, you know, late 05, early 06, the, the message was, oh, we've engineered a soft landing, right? Right. Fed raised rates however many times and nothing broke. Right. And okay, so I guess we're fine. We're hearing some echoes. And we actually had, I think, a de if, I'm, if memory serves, like even 2007 wasn't a terrible year from a macro perspective. Mm -hmm. Housing was starting to crack. Okay. Housing started to crack early 06, late 05. Um, but we didn't have a negative GDP print until 2008. Sure. Right. So we're in this uncomfortable window where Nothing's really happened from the Fed actions. I mean, things have happened, obviously. The cost of money is a lot higher, and that's had an impact. But nothing massive is broken in the, in the global economy, in the financial economy. And so is it going to? I don't know, right? It's anybody's guess. But we're in that uncomfortable window where the Fed has tightened significantly, and we're kind of waiting to see what happens on the other side. But I think a lot of people would say, okay, the interest rate sensitivity of the economy is lower, that it's is not factually zero, right? Would you correct. say it's yeah. definitely not zero? Right. So yeah. you would expect there to have some impact moving through the system as we get into 2024. Absolutely, and I would say, um, you know, we probably already have been right, right. Um, at the margin. And you know, where might that manifest itself in in our types of companies? Um, you know, comments about um, menu management at restaurants. What that means is, you know, looking for deals looking for family value right. type things, right? So things around the edges that definitely suggest, you know, things are tightening for the average U.S. household, right? I think that that's a factual statement at this point, but really not, not a whole lot beyond that okay. at this point. And then while I've got you on the macro theme, sure. keeping on your macro economy <laughs> right? let's talk, let's flip it to the inflation side of things. Okay. Because that's got a lot of puts and takes in your sector, right? From pricing sure to, raw, to good input costs and things like that. How, do, how yeah. does that balance out? How are you seeing that play out? When we, when, you know, I remember going into 23, that was really a big question and a big debate on the team is we knew, or we didn't know, but we suspected inflation was going to start coming out of 
income statements, mm-hmm. so to speak, right out of revenue lines. Right. And what does that mean, right? What it, how are companies going to deal with that, right? Because you're still in theory, moving the same number of units through your system, let's say if you're a retailer, exactly. just making less per box, um, that seems to be a problem. And and the thought was, you know, what if what if infla- what if inflation, let's just say core CPI, starts to decline below the weight the the rate of wage inflation? How are they? How are retailers or restaurants, for example, going to manage that margin pinch? And I would say, so far, I mean, we're in it right now. We're not all the way through this um, by any stretch, but we're, we've come a long way. Um, inflation is largely out of the food ecosystem. I would say we're kind of mid single digits, even low single digits. Um, that's really driven by by beef, which has become short term um, pretty inflationary. But in general, the commodity basket is pretty close to. Um, ringing out all of the, all of the uh, inflation, and we've seen it also in in the goods sector. You know, varies by product for sure, va- depending on sort of frequency of purchase. But you know, largely inflation has worked its way out of of company revenue lines most of the way by now, I would say. And so far, I would say the evidence is 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 pretty favorable, meaning our companies have been able to manage that without you know significant earnings pain. I would say. Now that's not to say there's been none, mm-hmm. right? There's some. Mm-hmm. We we've we've been you know part of that as well. I mean nobody's really getting spared necessarily, but it hasn't been carnage, right? The way the way you might have imagined it would have been eighteen months ago yeah. or a year ago. Now I should also say that the picture is different outside the U.S., right? So in continental Europe, for example, and I'm just I'm very much generalizing here, but generally what they've seen there is a later inflation cycle. And so if you were to look at static inflation rates now across UK, France, Germany, Spain, what have you, generally, they're going to be a few points above where the US is. And so you have that interplay as well, because what if the US central bank starts getting looser, whereas the EU, you know, still feels the need to stay tight. So you could have some, I guess, desynchronization in in monetary policy that we haven't fully considered, but I think, but I think that's something to think about going forward. Could companies actually look better going into 2024 now that the you're starting to find this equilibrium potentially between price increases on goods and, and on wages as well? When you think about sort of the middle of the income statement, right? Mm-hmm. Forget revenue for a second. I think that's I think that's an accurate statement, and the the way it sort of phrase it is more from an operating perspective. Okay. It's become easier to run a global supply chain, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that shouldn't <laughs> surprise anybody, right? And we're hearing that universally, right? Um, for the most part, our companies stopped sort of complaining, I guess I'll say, about wage inflation over a year ago, right? Um, the acuteness of the, the tight labor market probably peaked 18 months ago, something like that, right? So that's been sort of a favorable part of the expense narrative for, for quite some time. Again, not deflationary, Right, it's we're not talking about wages going down sure. necessarily, but back to something that the retailers can budget against. Think three percent, four percent. If that's my wage rate inflation, I can run a business against that if I just know that that's going to be the rate. Right, it's when it goes from zero to twelve, you know, that that that, that companies have a problem. All right, let's do the fun part. The okay. Opportunities. Yeah. What do you what do you see? What do you like right now? Oh boy. Um, okay, so. We like business models that deliver demonstrable value. Now that seems very obvious, like no kidding. Yeah, and what does that mean? Easier, exactly? yeah, but, but it's more nuanced than that. So 
think about a retailer never really allowed itself to take prices up and earn excess rent during the pandemic, right? And there's an interesting tweak to their business model where no matter what product category it is, their buyers are only literally allowed to, to buy those to a 14% gross margin. Hmm. Now contrast that with, let's just say, a department store or a general merch retailer. The spread, let's say, on a branded CPG product, let's say, versus a private label dress could be 40 points, right? Like 60 versus 20, right? So we're kind of like trying to figure out, do we actually want that? I'm, I don't have an answer yet. I'm not sure. A lot of that depends on the path of macro over the next few quarters, right? Do you want that margin recovery or do you actually want the stability? But we are focused, and we have been really since the beginning of 22, um, not necessarily on what you would consider, I guess, value retailers, but durable business models that are, that are built around delivering value, right? So what might that be? Off-price retail is an example. Dollar stores are even an example. That's been a pretty choppy place near term, but we think that that works in a, in a difficult economy. I almost don't want to say it anymore because I think I've overused it, but in March of 22, when the Fed started raising rates, we kind of came out with this tagline of experiences over things and small things over big things. Mm -hmm. And what that means is just let's take the things thing for a second, right? Small things over big things just means things that don't need to be financed versus things that do, sure. right? And that's played out in spades, I think, um, so far this year. And as far as experiences versus things, you know, I think it's a, it's a less pronounced argument than we were making in 2020 or 2021, let's say, right? A lot of that recovery has, has clearly taken place. But we still think at the margin, experiences should do a little bit better than things. I think, I think we're in a bit of a prolonged hangover of sort of collection of material things. And we're still in this mindset of like, you know, I've maybe got more money than time, mm -hmm. or maybe time is a little more precious than I thought it was before the pandemic. Sure. I'm going to take that trip with my family. I'm going to make sure I spend time with my kids before they don't want to hang out with me anymore. Yeah, right? I could see that, especially... I mean, just given uh, sort of the, the tight capacity with travel uh, this, yeah. in this past year, people might not have been able even to book that trip yet. I think that was a lot of it, actually, in 21. Um, if you wanted to go to the Bahamas, good luck. I'm now getting inbounds on social media from places that were completely booked, right? So yeah, it's loosening up. And I think in general, the average household does have money to spend on experiences. They do. Um, and that isn't necessarily something that you would finance. Right? You might put it on your credit card, but you don't revolve. You just pay it off or something like that. Right, The backdrop for big ticket durables, not I wouldn't describe it as like incredibly weak or falling off a cliff or even getting worse at the margin. It's probably getting a little better at the margin just as we annualize this, this hangover, if you will. But it's still weak. Right, the, it, It's still weaker than other parts of the good segment. And we think it's still weaker than experiences overall. All right, well, we'll have to see how this plays out, yeah. goods versus experiences. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. The views presented are as of the date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any client requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, but not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization.
It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janus Henderson Investors is a source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions, a. Europe by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615, Janice Henderson Investors UK Limited, registration number 906355, Janice Henderson Fund Management UK Limited, registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited, registration number 2606646, each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopsgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Janice Henderson Investors Europe SA. Registration number B22848, at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. B, the US by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janice Henderson Group PLC. C, Canada through Janice Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions. D, Singapore by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited, company registration number 199700782N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore. E, Hong Kong by Janice Henderson Investors Hong Kong Limited. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. South Korea by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, limited only to qualified professional investors, is defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations. G. Japan by Janice Henderson Investors, Japan, limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instrument business. H. Australia and New Zealand by Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, limited, ABN 47124279518 and its related bodies corporate including Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16165119531, AFSL 444266, and Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43164177244, AFSL 444268, I, the Middle East by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office. This material relates to a financial product which is not subject to any form of regulation or approval by the Dubai Financial Services Authority, DFSA. The DFSA has no responsibility for reviewing or verifying any prospectus or other documents in connection with this financial product. Accordingly, the DFSA has not approved this material or any other associated materials nor taken any steps to verify the information set out in this material, and has no responsibility for it. The financial product to which this material relates may be illiquid and or subject to restrictions in its resale. Prospective purchasers should conduct their own due diligence on the financial product. If you do not understand the contents of this material you should consult an authorized financial advisor. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Europe, and UK, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Janice Henderson is a trademark of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. Basis point or BP equals 1 one hundredth of a percentage point. 1 BP equals 0.01%, 100 BPS equals 1%. Consumer Price Index, CPI, is an unmanaged index representing the rate of inflation of the U.S. consumer prices as determined by the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics.
Monetary policy are the policies of a central bank, aimed at influencing the level of inflation and growth in economy. It includes controlling interest rates and the supply of money. Derivatives can be more volatile and sensitive to economic or market changes than other investments, which could result in losses exceeding the original investment and magnified by leverage. C. 1223-53730-123024